Lord, thank you for Andrew. And we pray that you prepare the city of Granville to receive a new church, a church that wants to be the, a church with Granville, not just to Granville. Lord, bring the money for that, bring the team for that, and bring the relationships for that. And Lord, we thank you that you have been so faithful through your people here at this church. And we know that you already know how the year's gonna end. We don't, but we know the one who does, and that's you. So we pray that you, we pray that we submit to you and do what you want us to do with the resources that you entrust to us. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts for your word, we simply say this, I don't, I don't want it to be my word. So give me your thoughts, stand in my shoes, speak with my mouth, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want us to see, hear, and receive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Ephesians 4 is the climax, the watershed point, the, the, the spot where everything turns in the book of Ephesians. You see this in the gospel according to Mark. Um, Mark, Jesus is being very secretive about being the Messiah. It's called the messianic secret. And, and he's always out and around, but there comes this spot in, in, in Mark, in the book, it's kind of like in a movie, it's when the music gets loud or when the, all the, the major conflict of a movie is kind of resolved and you know it's, it's, things are gonna change now. Um, in the book of Mark, Jesus begins to say who he is and he turns and it says he goes up to Jerusalem. So everything is out there and then it's up to Jerusalem. Um, in Ephesians, everything points toward Ephesians 4 before it and everything after it points back to it. And Ephesians is a book, a circular letter, as Pastor Greg told us last week. It's meant to be circulated. It was for the church in Ephesus, but it is for all churches. And it is about Jesus, but it's about the church. And the first half of Ephesians 4 is about maturity and unity. So it talks a lot about the gifts that God has given to people and what it means to live those out for the purpose of the glory of God and the edification of the church, the, the building the church up and um, about growing in maturity in faith. The last half of Ephesians 4, and they, it's kind of a, kind of a teeter-totter. Um, the last half is about, not about maturity, although you need it in order for the, for the last half to work. And it's not about unity, although you need it for the last half to work. It's about purity. And a lot of times as Christians and most pastors, when we read through this, we want to talk about purity of body. You know, you'll hear things like sensuality or lust for more. And when we talk about lust for more, there's a lot of kids in the room, so I'm just trying to be appropriate here, but um, we usually put lust for more in one particular category. Um, it, it means more than that. And Paul is specifically talking about that and all the other things because Paul, and I'm giving you this so that when we read it, you hear it well. Um, Paul is convinced, unlike most of us, and I'm not saying that, 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 that anyone's doing wrong, but most of us, when we think about what it means to walk in faith, we think about our behavior more than we think about our thinking. And Paul is convinced that, that, that the Christian life is the renewing of and the transformation of the mind. And it's stinking thinking would be my words for it. Stinking thinking that leads us to stinking behavior, but transform thoughts, change 
how we behave and what we say. So if you're, if, when you read this and you hear it, and when you even hear Paul talk about their ignorance, he's not saying they're, they're, that they're stupid. He's saying that they do not have the transform, transforming knowledge of Jesus that makes their lives different. So the thing that, that, that we often miss because of our, our modern or even postmodern, but our modern view of humanity and even of our own body, mind, and soul. So we don't always recognize that the battle for our soul is always waged in our mind. And we also don't think about our mind being that which controls us. Now there's brain science out there that talks about when you watch, okay, I'll give you an example. When you watch the television, those of you, if you're like me, my wife's out of town. Uh, she's in Boston with her family right now. And uh, so I get to watch as much news as I want. I'm not happy when I do that. And I talk to the screen and I'm angry, and, I, and, and, and they know it because we have this brain, this part of our brain called the amygdala. It's also known as the lizard brain. Paul, Paul might not know the amygdala, but God knows it. He designed it. We have this, it's right above the brainstem, and it's the thing that if a bird eats a caterpillar that makes the bird sick, the bird next time it sees a caterpillar that looks like that, it's going to fly away. It's the same thing you get when you're walking through a darkened alley or something like that, and, and, and you're like, you're on hyper alert, and the, 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 the hairs kind of stand up on the back of your neck. You're like, oh, is the saber-toothed tiger going to kill me? You know, you're probably not going to get eaten by a saber tooth, but it, it's the part of you that's instinctive. It's beyond or it's pre-thought. You just know something's off. So if you have a bad experience, anytime someone, if someone says awful things to you, I used to have a boss that would say, um, you know what you need to do? Sounds really nice, right? But it's actually, an, what's coming is an order. You know what you need to do? You know what you need to do? So anytime someone says, you know what you need to do? I'm like, oh, it's, I don't think about it. It's an automatic. If you had a girlfriend, guys, that treated you poorly and used to say certain things, if your now spouse says those things, you're oh. Women, same thing. It's the amygdala. It teaches us to be instinctive in our reaction and not responsive in our thought. It's a good thing. It keeps us safe. It, it means that you don't have to think when someone, when a kid runs out in front of your car, you just stop. It's a good thing. But if we live with the amygdala, we forget that God gave us an adult brain, a human brain, the prefrontal cortex that's not fully formed until you're 25 or 26 years old. And I'm telling you that because science backs up what Paul is saying right here. So I want you to be thinking of thinking when we read this and hear that Paul is speaking that, that a Christian, what they say matters because it's what you think that comes out of your mouth. And it reads like this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you, you must no longer live as the Gentile do's, do, Gentiles do, Gentile do's, Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and the continu- with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this is something we kind of miss. Our our way of thinking generally, I'm not saying you, but generally our way of thinking is that we need to learn more about God. And in the translators from the Greek to the English right here, you know, you did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him. But the Greek doesn't say it that way. The Greek says, surely you did not come to know Christ, that Christ, like the, the, the one that's not really real. And he says, he, talks, he taught you, he's teaching you. It, it's hard for us that, that, that when, when the scripture is proclaimed, it's not the preacher proclaiming the scripture, it's God proclaiming the scripture. In fact, it's the view of preaching that preachers are supposed to have. It's very scary, it's daunting. If I stand in front of, of God on your behalf, I'm praying for you, I can boldly approach the throne of God with confidence. But if to stand in front of people and dare to speak on behalf of God is audacity at its highest. But he says that when his, when his word goes out, he's the one speaking. So the belief that we are, we don't just hear about Jesus. We don't, aren't just taught about him. He himself teaches us. We don't just know about him. We actually know him. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you and he's the one that informs you of who you are and whose you are. Paul is saying, if we're not convinced of that, then there's really no hope of living the way God intended us to live. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then here's the part that won't be on the screen, the next two verses, because they actually go with chapter four, four, not with chapter five. They all go together. But be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God's intent is actually that we become like him. And I find it curious that he says, do not let any unwholesome 
uh, unwholesome. He, before that, he, he talks about don't give the devil a foothold, and that's about anger and, 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 and all of that. But here he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. If we don't do that, we grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many of us this week went, man, I, I bet I ticked off God. But if Jesus walked in the room right now and he was right here and he asked you to come stand next to him, would you be thinking, what can I do to tick him off? No, you'd be like, I'm, I, I got, am I thinking the right things? Am I gonna say the right things? Am I bowing down the right way? Am I, you know, you're, you're gonna be trying to not appease, but to let him know that you're pleased with him. See, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, then we have the words of Christ. If we have the mind and the words of Christ, we have the behavior of Christ. See, a Christian is a little Christ. Now, none of us are gonna be Christ in all that Christ is, but we are called to be different than we are today. There's this process known theologically as sanctification. I define it this way. Jesus loves you just the way you are, and he refuses to leave you that way. And the process by which he refuses to leave you that way is called sanctification. And we have an option. We can cooperate with him and agree with him in what he's trying to change in us, or we can argue with him and defy him and aggravate that process. He wants us to say, yes, Lord, so that we become more the man, more the woman that God created us to be. But we get caught up in some things. So I don't know if you know this, but there's an election. You guys, you guys see this? Um, I'm not on Facebook, so I guess I don't know. Um, have you noticed that there's accusations and suspicions? That it seems to be that if, if I think one way and someone else thinks another, that I know I'm right and I can't convince them so it's not just that I think they're wrong, they're evil. That's where we've gone. That's amygdala stuff. It, it's, and, and it works. That's what gets you to click. That's what gets you to watch. And then, and then, I, then I can find myself um, listening to people and, they, and they're all upset about something and I'm like, yeah, phew, that's pretty bad. But they're upset with me because I'm not as upset as they are. And so we, we get ourselves, aren't you scared? Can't you see that the world is gonna end? Can't we, don't we know? It's, it's fear and accusation, but who in scripture is the accuser? The devil. Every time we bow to the temptation of fear accusation, there's a foothold. We're living by the amygdala. And I'm not saying don't vote, please do. I'm not saying don't have opinions. I have opinions. And I, I'm tempted to become one of those political preachers because I can make a name for myself. But I won't do it because the scripture wins. The king of kings who sets up kings and takes down nations is the one you worship. 
There's an old book. I can't remember the name of the author. I can't remember the name of the book. It's one of those really long books with lots of descriptors. But there, there's this woman, this wife who sees her husband. And just like in the churches in, 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 uh, in Asia Minor, um, they, they, her husband worships some pagan god. And every year they had this big festival. We talked about that in the book of Revelation there. But had this big festival where the men came and they were supposed to, to be with the temple prostitutes and that kind of thing. And, and her husband was just all up in this religious fervor. And someone asked her how she's doing and why she doesn't look excited because this is this thing we're supposed to celebrate. And she said, I wish my husband had different gods because if he had different gods, he'd be a different man. And folks, we have a different God. And because we have a different God, we will be different people. Imagine how the world would change today if every Christian voted their conscience, read the platforms, voted informed based on the faith that they have in Jesus and with confidence that God is still God and we are still his, just lived a calm, peace-filled existence, not just within ourselves and our own family, but in, toward, and around other people. Unwholesome talk. The Greek word for unwholesome is spoiled fish. Now, I don't know if you've ever smelled spoiled fish, but there's one other person in the room that I know knows what a live well after a bass tournament smells like after sat in your garage for a couple of days and it's 96 degrees out. And I come home from a tournament in the summer, and I love, I'm a southern boy, so I love, this is too cold for me out there right now. But I like it 96, 97, 98 degrees, 96 percent humidity. I like to sweat. And but when I come home, my wife will go, "Okay, that's a peculiar combination of smells: sweat, sunscreen, bug spray, and fish." But I know the next morning when I walk out, and I had to open those live wells out to dry out, and there's scales in there, a little blood on the deck, and and. There's a, there's a smell. But if you've ever smelled fish in a hot garage that you forgot to take out of the live well, but the water's gone two or three days later and it's a gelatinous mass, that's disgusting. That's what God says our unwholesome talk smells like to him. Spoiled fish. Do we want that ever. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we speak words and ways that aren't God's words and ways. We give the devil a foothold when we're always angry. And I'm not telling you, someone up there is going, they're pulling their shirt up over because they can smell the fish right now. I'm not telling you don't be passionate. Be passionate. But look at what it's doing to you. And ask yourself, is this glorifying to God? And when I see the people that I'm angry with on the television or the pundits or the talking heads or whatever we call them or on the radio or on this, this particular block spot or that particular website or this particular group on Facebook or whatever it may be, if you start wanting ill will for them. That's where it says, get rid of all kinds of malice. Malice is the desire to inflict injury or harm on another person. Now, most of us wouldn't say it out loud, but don't we sometimes kind of go, well, they'll see you after November 3. Or if Jesus comes back, ah, 
then they'll know. But what does God want for those people? He wants them to know that they're loved by God and he wants them to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. He wants them to receive the salvation that he paid so dearly for. He loves them dearly and they're an image bearer of Christ and I should treat them as such, even if I'm never gonna meet them. So I'm gonna give you some very practical pieces of advice. Some of you have heard before, but I can tell you this, that from 1977, the Carnegie, Carnegie Technological Institute it figured out that 90% of people that fail in their work life, their vocational life, 90% of people fail. Nine, nine out of 10 people that fail, fail because they don't know how to interact with or get along with other people. They forget that other people are people and that their job isn't to just serve the one who's having trouble. So before you say anything to anyone, especially in volatile times, Ask yourself four questions. One, is it true? Verifiably so. Two, is it kind? Three, is it necessary? Four, if I were in their shoes, would I find this helpful? That's tough stuff. But I can tell you that most things that I would utter to most people would not pass number one, much less number two. Don't discuss or argue with anyone over Facebook, Instagram, I know it's a little harder on Instagram, Twitter, that's always pleasant, or texting, or email for that matter. But I, every pastor on our staff, maybe except for Andrew, I don't know if Andrew's been long, around long enough to have married someone, uh, to, to have officiated a wedding ceremony, and then have them later split up. I've done 180 something weddings. And uh, as far as I know, there's about 11 that haven't made it. And three of them I know for sure, their marriages died because they were discussing and debating and arguing over texting. It is impossible to read someone's tone via text. You read it with the tone you, in, you think they intended, not with the tone they actually had. I, I've had people share text strings with me that are, that are miles long and everything they're upset about, I could read differently. It's just not a way to communicate. Texting is for, yes, honey, I'll pick up milk on my way home or I'll be home in five, that kind of thing. If you're in relationships between uh, parent and child, child to child, uh, spouse to spouse, if you're, if, if you're getting hot because of texting, Stop, make a phone call. At least you can hear the tone. All of this stuff ties in with what Paul is telling us, what it means to have the mind of Christ and to speak like Christ. Um, it used to be that when you, if you wanted to write an angry letter to someone, you had to put it in the mailbox and you knew your postal carrier came by about two in the afternoon. So you put it in one day after you got something or whatever, however you do it. And, and you put the stamp on, but you could go back out the next morning after you've cooled off and you can take it out of the mailbox. Now you hit send, it's done. I had one this year, some, a response I was making to someone uh, that got me kind of hot. My armor was down and it got, it got me, and I, but I had just enough wisdom to send it to Doug and say, hey, just tell me if, 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 if I'm okay on this. And five minutes later, he said, it was very wise that you shared that with me. <laughs> he saved my bacon 
Because I don't want to do what my amygdala tells me. I want to do what the Holy Spirit tells me. But sometimes I don't because what comes natural to me is, is not what God wants from me. What comes supernatural to me is what he wants from me. Make promises sparingly and keep them faithfully. Never miss an opportunity to compliment or say something encouraging to someone. This is something really cool that on our staff that, that a former um, vice chair started doing at all of our meetings. The staff's been doing something like this for a while. We call it tattling on one another, but, but tattling on them. Uh, no one wants to be tattled on. No one wants to be called out for doing something wrong in a group meeting. It's better done one-on-one. -on -one. But what about if you found out, if you showed up at a meeting and, and we're going around, okay, it's time for tattle time. Um, and, and, and someone noticed something you did too. Like for, for an example, uh, yesterday, Alicia did not get a day off all week. And yesterday she was here on Saturday vacuuming um, outside of the mosaic because she remembered that Rick was in Rochester uh, Friday. So she wanted to make sure it was good and ready. Yes, it's her job, but not on Saturday at five o'clock. It's not. She was here doing extra work and I happened to notice and now now I get to brag on her in front of a whole bunch of people because she went above and beyond. No one would have noticed that there were pieces of paper on the floor, little bitty tiny little shreds of paper, but she noticed. So we try to go around and brag on one another. And in and, and every one of our consistory meetings, every one of our uh, uh, elder meetings, and every one of our um, uh, executive team meetings, there's a 10 to 15 minutes set aside at the end to share wins. What's gone well? Imagine how attitudes and whole cultures would change if we were just noticing the good things and calling them out. A few more things and then we're done. Refuse to talk negatively about someone. And if you're involved in a conversation when someone else is doing it, politely figure out a way out of that conversation. Have a forgiving view of people. Keep an open mind, discuss, don't argue. That is hard today. It's really hard to discuss. But if you find yourself in a spot where you can't have a discussion, it has to be an argument, you can find a way to diplomatically find your way out of that conversation. Forget counting to 10, count to 1,000. Two more. Don't feel the need, or try not, to, try not to give into the temptation to defend your thoughts, your views. Um, let, your, let your virtues, let your life speak for itself. Because in the moment when everyone's hot, you're not gonna convince anyone you're a good person if they disagree with you. But over time, how you treat others, how you speak of others, how you conduct yourself, who you worship, It'll speak for itself because we have another God. We have a God that's different than everybody else. And so we're gonna become different people. It's gonna look an awful lot like the God that we worship because we end up looking like and behaving like and being like that which you worship. And then finally this, this is something that Pastor Greg often quotes. Do not seek to be consoled so much as to console. Do not seek so much to be understood as to understand. And do not seek so much to be loved as to love. Now, I told you this a minute ago. I have some friends that want me to brand myself 
They want me to start blogging and put out videos and get a better haircut and wear nicer clothes so that I can kind of be one of those celebrity type pastor types. And there's always a temptation to be a political preacher. I do not want, I know the kind of man I would become if I did that. And it is not the man that God wants me to be. So I'm sorry if that's what you're looking for here, you're not gonna get that from me. I won't talk specific policies, but I will tell you that the one that we are beholding to and the one that we really want to see win is Jesus. And I know how ridiculously kind of, oh, Jesus-y, Jesus crispy that sounds. But folks, he really is God. And he really can put anyone in place he wants and he can tear down whole nations and he can destroy the whole world. And right now, so far, he's chosen not to. And he's chosen that you and I are to be faithful. If this civilization has a chance, it's gonna be because the people of God chose to worship God, to be faithful to God and to believe God. Not because of everybody else doing it, whether we do or not. And so if it's gonna have a chance, remain faithful. Vote, read the policies, do all you gotta do. I'm not, I have not missed a, a general election vote in, since uh, 19, 1984 is the first time I voted and I've been voting ever since uh, and I have my opinions. But you don't need to know those because you have a mind of your own and it's the mind of Christ and let him inform you. And I will do my best to, and me and the other pastors to always point you to what God says so that God's word go out and God teaches you and God gives you opinion and God is the one who informs your voting, not me. We have people all over the world that are trying to tell you how to vote and, and who to believe. I want you to vote Jesus and to believe God. You might do that differently than me. I don't know. But no spoiled fish you want really good roasted salmon. Let's pray. Lord, there are some things that stink. And the way you tell us in scripture, a lot of that has to do with how we speak. But Lord, there are things that smell wonderful. And that's when your people think like you, speak like you, and behave like you. Give us your mind, Lord. Give us your words, Lord. And give us your demeanor, Lord, so that we represent you well and others know who our God is by how we speak. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray. Amen.